You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode, we'll be talking about Hugh Masakila. In the room, I have Ben. Hello. And John. Hello. Home is Where the Music Is is a 1972 double LP by Hugh Masakila, issued by the joint American label Chizza and Blue Thumb Records. The producers are Stuart Levine and Calfonis Semia. The genre is jazz and Afrobeat. And from all music review, Thom Jurek, Home is Where the Music Is marked a sharp detour for Hugh Masalika's more pop-oriented jazz records of the 60s. Masalika was chasing a different groove altogether. He was looking to create a very different kind of fusion, one that involved the rhythms and the melodies of his native South Africa, and included the more spiritual, soul-driven explorations. The South African and American quintet he assembled for the date is smoking. Part of the whole opens the set with Willis on Fender Rhodes piano with a lazy rolling blues groove that is equal parts soul jazz and South African folk melody. The horns enter behind him playing a vamp before they ramp it up in the chorus twice before Pakwana takes his solo against the rhythm sections. In sum, Home is Where the Music Is is a stone spiritual soul jazz classic that melds the sound of numerous emerging jazz schools in its pursuit of musical excellence. It succeeds on all counts and is one of the greatest recordings in Hugh Meslika's long career. In a year of f- full of amazing titles, this is still a standout. All right, what did you guys think of Hugh Meslika's Home is Where the Music Is? I'm not usually a jazz fan, yeah. but I really, I had a, I had a big Ladysmith Black Mombazo phase as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll just, okay. I'll lay it out there. Uh, and when you mix those rhythms in with jazz, there's some really interesting stuff going on, and it's it's very enjoyable. I agree. I agree. Uh, I think the fact that this is, has like Afrobeat in it with the jazz is what makes me be able to sit with it for for two full discs. On, upon a fir- on a first listen, it, it didn't. I, I I thought it was fine on a first listen. It definitely wasn't the uh, abrasive hard jazz that I was hoping it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that it, it just sounded kind of like a cocktail hour to me when I was just casually listening to it the first time, but I've listened to it a few more times since then, and it's really sank in and like grown on me, like the cool rhythms they have going on and stuff. Yeah, I loved the this is this is interesting. I hadn't heard of uh, Miss Lika before. Um, I guess I just hadn't dug that deep into like seventies or a- African sort of like infused. 70s jazz and stuff and man his horn playing that sort of like rhythms that he's getting within that playing and then 
all the players coming in like drummers are killing it the piano is killing it like every little nuanced thing they're pulling off and it feels so together. Yeah. It's so crazy. Looks like his quintet is three South or three South Africans and uh, two Americans. Yeah. And he plays the trumpet. I mean, that's his mm-hmm. instrument. And he's bringing a lot of, uh, I mean, just showmanship to it. You know, just staccato blasts and things like that, that he really brings out on that first track, uh, part of the whole, especially around like 340, just like crushing those, those bursts. And he does some of those bursts, you know, throughout the album. But I, I think coming out the gate like that, it's really interesting to hear that because I don't, I don't know. You don't normally hear a trumpet do that all that often. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like it has a bit of those, it's like post bebop qualities, but it's not overwhelming. It all sits nicely with the other players and they all have time to sort of like shine within each track, but they're not, they're not always competing. It's not, it's not so like complicated. It doesn't feel like we can't like we are just talking over it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we're having a drink and you can still kind of not, you don't, if you don't want to concentrate on it, you don't, it doesn't demand immediate attention. But I think if you sat in your, you know, sat down with headphones, like I did this week, it, you can like really dig in and feel more like uh, the nuances of everything. Absolutely. It's got a really easy, vibe to it. Like, I don't want to say easy listening, though it is easy to listen I'd to. i say like soul. I mean, we're getting the Superfly and yeah, all this sort of like... Like the, the stuff that I'm thinking of, like of this era, the late 60s, early 70s, is like, there's these jazz albums and there's nothing wrong with them. And I've got a few of them. They're basically like jazzed up instrumental versions of pop hits of the day. Like, uh, man, I'm, I'm spacing on some names right now. But it's just like it's like the type of thing that you would put on for like a, your hip fondue party or whatever, you know. Uh, and and this album, upon like at least upon my pop damaged uh, ears, it kind of fit in that category of just like you know f- fondue party jazz, you know. That but me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I, but, I get but, what you're saying. But, Go ahead. But what I'm saying is, it, it, it's not that. Like, yeah. it, you could sneak it into one of those collections. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, or like stack. So you could stack the 45s, you know, for your party or whatever. But instead of just being like, you know, jazz, jazzed up instrumental covers of the pop songs of today, like these compositions are really interesting. Yeah. And like, there's there's cool stuff going on, and you don't need to pay that much attention to it if you don't want to. Yeah. Well, I think you were right on that, Birch, that having that infusion of soul or having that infusion of some of the other jazz stylings does make it a little bit more, well, for me, palatable. I mean, yeah. that's a bad word for it, but it's it's easy to digest. You, you get it yeah. and you feel it yeah. uh, because the rhythms are so strong and the rhythms are so smooth. But he plays with different, I would say, jazz styles or mm-hmm or almost regions of jazz, uh, and I'm no jazz expert, but I, I feel like they're like, you know, it's kind of easy for me to say that the the Big Apple feels like a very American U.S. style jazz song, and it's probably my least favorite. But then you get into... Um, I really like that one, though. I like the doubling <laughs> of the horns, because yeah. it's got those two horns. That like, sounds sort so of familiar to me. Is it like a theme to something? The Big Apple? Yeah. I don't know. And a lot of these were done by his producer, right? Written by his producer. Uh, well, yes. The, the uh, oh, Kaifas Semenya, I may mm-hmm. be mispronouncing that. He was the composer for most of these songs, and he also has a production credit. So I don't know 
if he's a producer that wrote songs or a composer that did enough behind the scenes to get a production credit. So do you know if he did the Big Apple? Do you know who's on that uh, one? Big Apple is it is. It's it's uh it's yeah, Kaifa Semenya. Oh, okay. Yeah. So but Birch loves that one. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying it's my least favorite on the album. Okay. Seru, I thought, had some sort of Afro-Cuban elements to it, like just differences in the rhythms. Yeah. Um, and our headphones right now is Minawa, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it's beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. a, a predominantly piano-based track, uh, and it's by, uh, I'm going to murder this name, uh, Seko Turi. Mm-hmm. And I tried to look up who that was, and I think... <laughs> I think it was the president of the nation of Guinea uh, from the late 60s to the early 80s. He sort of started out as a liberator of Guinea uh, from slash France. jazz composer? Slash jazz composer, slash sort of patron for uh, Hugh Masekela um, and also Miriam Makeba. Like they were all sort of tight in the nation of Guinea. because Oh, they were tight. Yeah, it was one of the first, uh, well, Hugh and Miriam were, <laughs> they were married for two years, but uh, but Seko Turi, before he became a horrible dictator, uh, which, you know, absolute yeah. power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. Uh, That's the exact same thing that those other two cats were fighting against. Yep, exactly, <laughs> but... That's what happens. What sometimes, are the odds? Sometimes <laughs> yeah. your closest buds and the maker of this beautiful song ends up murdering 50,000 people. Well, keep your friends close. Yeah, yeah. And that's but, the end of that sentiment. But, I mean, it's kind of interesting when you layer the politics and the sound because that uh, president, Sekoturi, had state-mandated or state-sponsored musicians that were searching for this sound, you know, authenticity, or authentic, um, it's French, authenticity, I don't know, uh, where you're trying to look to the past for your sound instead of doing, uh, you know, current uh, blendings of rhythms. So it's kind of, I mean, this album does have that. Yeah. yeah even though he's a South African yeah, player, yeah. He, you know, not a Ghanaian. No, but. he definitely is picking up on a lot of different influences and and mainly those this sort of like soul, soul jazz. He called it, what was it? Township uh, bop. Is township what, bop? Yep. Township bop is what he called <laughs> the music. And I was like, that kind of sounds right. That's cool. Um, And I, I did look up his sort of earlier stuff. I don't know if anybody listened to Grazing in the Grass. Did you know, yeah. That so was much a, cowbell. That was, that was <laughs> a number one yeah. U.S. pop hit in 68. Yeah. And... And I was listening to it. Yes, so much cowbell. Yeah. Uh, if you want a song that just has like all cowbell, that's that's your song. And it sounded so familiar to me. And then I read further, and uh, a year or two later, there was a, a a lyrical, a vocal version of "Grazing in the Grass." I know that song. Yeah. Is it the? I can dig it. He can dig it. She can dig it. We can dig it. They can dig it. You can dig it. That's they it. Dig it. Can you dig it, baby? Yep. I can dig it. He can dig it. She that's can dig it. grazing in the grass. Yep. 
Yep. What? Yeah. Yep. I had no idea. Yep. <laughs> so he went from that. That's the to, Friends of Distinction doing the vocal version. Oh. To this, he brought in the sort of South African uh, sound with this soul, mixing it with jazz, and this is what you get. So a great combination, a great like fusion and usually when I, I'm saying fusion, it's like jazz fusion. It oh. It's like that rock <laughs> fusion, like jazz stuff. This is beautiful. I yeah. love the sort of like South African beats uh, and then having like beautiful melodies over top of those and then great per- players performing, mm-hmm. feeding off each other. Uh, sounds awesome. It's got such cool, like chill songs and then uh, a bit more, you know, exciting songs and ramped up. I know there is a drum solo in this, so I was going to ask you about that, Ben. Well, you know my stance on drum solos. I do know your stance. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I would... I would normally rather hear a tasty jazz solo than than a classic rock solo. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, like, I, I would prefer this album... You know, and this... The, the Blues for Huey is what you're talking about, and it has... the. There are drum, there are featured drum parts where he does extensive solos in it, but there's more to the song than just that solo. Yeah, I do like a drum feature. I just always wish they were shorter. Yeah, leave them wanting more. <laughs> no, Don't okay. make them go get another beer. <laughs> but no, no. Uh, but uh, the drummer uh, Makaya Nichoku, uh, very good. Yeah, yeah. That that drum solo is re- is really tasty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's some definite uh, bangers on this on this with him. Holy cow! Hugh Masakela, yeah, or Masakela, Masakela. Unsurprisingly, you know, he's hanging out with Miriam McCabe and uh, and uh, Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. Do we and need to bring up Harry Belafonte again? And no, well, no, I'm not going to bring up that point. Why? Why <laughs> but, this book doesn't have Harry Belafonte <laughs> in it? What are you doing? You're just you're just continuing. To circle around Harry Belafonte with all the no, other artists. That's not even what I was that have, say. No, I'm He's saying it right now. <laughs> this shall not Why? stand. Yeah. Why is he not you've, in you've the You've got book? all of Harry's friends yeah. <laughs> who didn't sell as many records as him. And are not as influential. It's got to be personal. It has to, right? <laughs> I couldn't get the credit to like put him in here. Yeah. Like, Sorry, go ahead. No, so, so, uh, so all Hugh... You know, he, he he does have like political messages in his songs, uh, uh, especially like against the apartheid. And he's got a song that uh, came out in 1987 called uh, Bring Him Back Home. And it became the unofficial anthem of the apartheid and uh, of freeing Nelson Mandela, which made me question, wouldn't free Nelson Mandela be the unofficial anthem of freeing Nelson Mandela? I mean, maybe that's the official. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm joking, but yeah, that was the first thing I thought. I'm like, but there's a song called "Free Nelson Mandela." <laughs> like, what about that one? And it came out four years earlier. Yeah, maybe it just wasn't as good. <laughs> I, I like the specials. It's like, yeah, it's like when someone says it's the official, you know, drink of Beer something. Of the NBA. Yeah. yeah, but you're like, that's not true. Yeah. That's not the. That's not what people are drinking. <laughs> do you know where uh or you, or what is it uh what's the derby it's like oh, jim beam is the official, uh, the official bourbon, of, bourbon the derby. of the derby but yeah. everyone's like no no yeah or like no. the official vodka is like finlandia nobody drinks vodka i mean no. well i'm sure jim beam paid something to be yeah able that's to how you become say that yeah but uh, we, we 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 uh we 
broadcast this from Louisville, Kentucky, and there's not many Jim Beam drinkers around here. <laughs> no. Makeba first met? No. Tell me. So Hugh Masakela, Miriam Makeba, and a bunch of other of these uh, jazz artists sort of came out uh, as the touring orchestra for the King Kong musical with Miriam Makeba right. playing the lead. King Kong? King Kong the musical in the 50s. Yeah. It toured through London and the US. But she didn't play... She played not King Kong. <laughs> okay, so King Kong is the lead. Uh, whoever the female lead. Okay. <laughs> no. I should have clarified. I, I think that was a variety of puppeteers. But, uh, right. but yeah, so Hugh married her, and then uh, they were only married for two years, and then he married Cab Calloway's daughter, Chris Calloway. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And then two others. Yeah. Man, did he have any, like, really jazzy kids? <laughs> the road ain't no place to raise a family. <laughs> he doesn't need to raise them, he just needs to have them. <laughs> have them, yeah, I don't know. There's no... Uh, and there's no records I've Did seen. Did you just quote Journey? Yep. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Occasionally. Yeah, I was going to mention, too, that if you watch a Monterey Pop Festival, he is uh, featured um, on that. Surprisingly, oh, kind of. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Is he playing Grazing in the Grass? Uh, no, he is not. He is... Um... Uh, so you want to be a rock and roll star and... Oh, la- yeah, yeah. And, with, uh, he's up there with the birds. Lady, Lady friend. No, sorry. He was embraced by the birds. He, so he played. So you want to be a rock so and roll is star? Is he on that recording? Friends. Yeah, he's on that recording. Cool. Um, but they both played at Monterey uh, Pop Festival. I don't know what song he plays, but it's cool. It's um, it's definitely a lot different than the other acts there. So it's, oh yeah, it's a nice change. Uh, it's pretty intense too. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I recommend uh those those movies Woodstock and Monterey Pop Festival like, and obviously uh. Uh, Gimme Shelter. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are cool movies. If you're interested in the sort of like late 60s uh, music scene. Definitely. For, for as much crap as we give those like Jefferson <laughs> Airplane and some of those others. It's Country because Joe does we were buried stink. in psych. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, I think it does help to add a visual to the experience to sort of put it all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at that fucker. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Purple, you, purple jumpsuits. <laughs> silly pants. What do you no. think you're doing up there? <laughs> but now it all comes together. It's like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Y'all have a favorite track on this album? Ooh. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I kind of like Inner Crisis. I like that one a lot, especially when I it kicks like in at one. like 124, 130. I, just, I love that, that electric piano riff that just gets going through it. Yeah. I did like the Big Apple a lot. I like the the dual the is that really double, double, right yeah the doubling in the horns yeah and the sort of like jazzy piano that has a has a sort of like staccato I don't yeah. know it just feels like a 
Feels like you're in the city. Feels like you're in the city, yeah. yeah. But uh, the, was it Maseru, Mazaru? Yeah. Well, how do you say it? Trek 5. I don't know. All right, Maseru, Ma- Mazaru. Uh, yeah, next to that one, I wrote Bustling City Nightlife. Yeah. I just think that, that it sounded yeah. like a, the scene in a movie where people are hurrying down the street to go to dinner. Or yeah, it's got, a, it's got a solid bass line open, yeah. and then I wrote that it had plaintive trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> Earnest, <laughs> some earnest horns. How'd you feel about this, Ben? What would I, you give I, this? Well, personally, like a percentage or just thumbs up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thumbs up. Oh, I, I, this album really grew on me. I like this album a lot. Uh, I will revisit it. I don't know if I'll be able to find a copy of it because yeah. I'd never even seen, I'd never even heard this guy's name before, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, I, I like it, especially, you know, like, uh, just working around the house, making dinner, like doing work or something. It, like that, I'm not a jazz head, and that's when I listen to jazz. Yeah. Is when I'm doing something else. Okay. Yeah. So positive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like this. Cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to give it a positive. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's interesting to listen to if you want to listen to it, and it's nice in the background if you don't. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I same thing. I think it's total positive. It is interesting. I was wondering in the context of this a thousand and one albums, like what what is a spring? What is different about this? Like I've complained before about not having enough jazz in the sixties. Um, and then we have this album and I think this does bring in a sort of like what we have been getting with Superfly, where it's that sort of soul element laid back, um, but complex sort of jazz, uh, playing, uh, with these, these cool little staccatos and this sort of like uh, some African beats behind it. Yeah, it's a good, like, melding of of different styles, which I think the 70s were very big into fusion and uh, bringing jazz into, like, rock and roll and stuff. But this is really bringing that sort of, like, South African and and, uh, New York jazz with soul. And it just feels good. Yeah. 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 Uh, Next time we'll be talking about... Milton Nascimento and Lou Borges and their album Club de Esquina. All right. Thanks, y'all.